You're listening to episode number 261, and today we're talking with my personal therapist on healing from sexual trauma and how to create a healthy sexual wellness practice or routine or lifestyle. Anyways, all the details inside today's podcast. This is the Made for Living Well podcast, hosted by Alexa Sherm, the place to create a life well-lived. Welcome back to this podcast. My name's Alexa, and this is a place where I believe you were made for living well. It's not outside of you, but it's in you. And I know that is completely different from what other health outlets are talking about, but that's really my passion to help show you that health is not some external pursuit, but it's healing the inner parts of you. And today on the show, we're going to work to do that as I have licensed therapists, my personal therapist on the show to help talk about healing from sexual trauma and why this is such a big deal in really all of our lives. Not just in these big traumatic ways, but truly we have all been victims of the over-sexualization of the human body. And today we're going to dive into that topic. Now, I do want to give you a forewarning that if you are triggered by sexual trauma or are working through a series of events that maybe have occurred in your life, this could be triggering to you. And I do just want to put that disclaimer out there because I do not want this to be a stumbling block or a hurdle in your own healing process. Now, if you find that this stimulates something inside of you that maybe you haven't dealt with, it could be a sign that it's time to get some help in this area and speak with your own therapist or counselor about dealing with some of this hidden trauma in our life. As we know, trauma can't just be masked inside of our body, no matter how much we try to suppress it, but it will always show its ugly face. And there are lots of ways to deal with it, whether through talk therapy or other therapy solutions. Now, Like I mentioned, today on the show, we're going to dive into sexual trauma, and this is all a part of the Summer Sex Talk series where we are diving into a new paradigm in the health and sexual wellness space. And it's so important because sexual health and sexuality is such a massive part of our overall lives and our health. At the root of so much of our health is this idea of the sexuality. So I hope that you can go back and listen to all the podcasts inside this series. And there are just a couple more after this that we'll be releasing to finish up this series. Now, like I mentioned today on the show, we have my own personal therapist on. Her name's Laura Palachek. And honestly, I can't say enough good things about her. She is one of my favorite people, but she also is a skilled and trained therapist with a master's degree in marriage and family therapy with a passion in helping families and people overcome their past trauma and communication barriers to create healthy patterns of relating. Laura is amazing at what she does, and I'm so thrilled to have her on to talk about this deep subject that affects so many of us. And again, I'm just so honored and thrilled to have her on so you can impart in some of the wisdom that she shares inside this episode. Now, Before we have Laura on, I do want to remind you of one of our amazing summer podcast series sponsors, Athletic Greens. Now, I have been getting flooded with questions about Athletic Greens, like, are you sure? Does it really work? Can I take it when I'm nursing or when I'm pregnant? Now, if you have specific questions, please feel free to email me at alexa at thelivingwell.com or check out their amazing website that answers all of those questions. And if you can't find the answer that you're looking for, 
reach out to Athletic Greens. They have an amazing customer support that can help you answer any questions that you have. Now, the answer is I do love Athletic Greens. It has become a routine in my own life where I take it almost daily, not daily because sometimes I forget or life gets in the way, but almost daily as something I really truly look forward to, to energize my body, to neutrify it, to kind of just fill in the gaps, which is what supplements are supposed to be, this gap filler. Now, what I love most about Athletic Greens is its use of whole food nutrients, which means that they're deriving the majority of their nutrients inside of whole foods, which is going to help your body to absorb them and utilize them differently than a synthetic supplement that you might find on the store shelves. Like I mentioned, it has become a staple in my morning routine, sometimes afternoon routines, but overall, it has helped me feel more energized, help balance my body, boost my immune system, all the things that I'm looking for this time of the year and honestly, any time of the year. Make sure you use Athletic Greens and use my link for five free travel packs of Athletic Greens as well as a year supply of vitamin D. You can find all of that at thelivingwell.com as well as more information on today's show notes. But for now, let's get back to today's show and welcome Laura. Laura, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you on. You're one of my favorite people. I'm not just saying that. You really are. Thank you. (laughs) And that's saying a lot because you're also my therapist and counselor. (laughs) I haven't always liked you. (laughs) I don't always like you, right? (laughs) You're one of my favorite people most of the time. (laughs) I'll take that. Yeah. Well, today I brought you on to talk about a conversation that we're having with the sex talk this summer. And I think that there's so much to be said about how deeply sexuality means to us and how much it then can traumatize us. Mm -hmm. And I think before we even start this conversation, I feel like this conversation on maybe sexual trauma and even building confidence is not intended to trigger people, but it very well could. So I want to just address the fact that people could be triggered. How can we get into this conversation without feeling threatened by it? Yeah, exactly. I think that the the, the main thing to, to do is just to let people know that even though it feels really weird to talk about sex, it was meant to be a very natural thing. It was meant to be a very uh, beautiful, good thing. And um it's the trauma, it's the pain, it's the shame that actually makes us feel awkward talking about it. So I think just to say, it's, it's okay. Like we need to talk about this stuff. We Mm -hmm. need to, we need to like start unpacking some of the situations that inform how we feel about sex and our body image. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really important work. And before we got on the show, you're kind of talking about how deep sex is, it's, it's, it's more than just a physical act. It's this deep mind, emotional soul yeah. connection. And you kind of mentioned that's why the trauma is so great. Yeah. Can you explain more about why you think, or what sexual trauma is doing and how we're influenced by that? Well, I feel like at the very core of who we are is a created, uh, intimate being. And like you said, intimacy includes sexuality, but there's a there's a connection between body, spirit, soul that like this this inner sense of well-being is connected to who we are as a sexual being. And that's where those very first wounds mess with who we are, who we think we are, like at the mm-hmm. core level of, of our being. And 
I don't know. I, I feel like that's that's exactly the intention of the enemy is to get us young, get us at the core of who we think we are and who God made us to be and calls it good. And then just from there on out, it's kind of like we just kind of self-destruct. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we it just builds on itself. Shame mm-hmm. builds on shame. And we just end up uh, believing things about ourselves that don't line up with what God says is true about us. And then we also start to have strange uh, relationships with other people because we don't have a, girl, a good, strong sense of who we are. Yeah. And I feel so like it's that's, very complicated. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and I think sometimes, and this might be untrue, but like sexual trauma almost always feels like trauma that was inflicted upon us. Yeah. But then becomes our pain that we carry. Very, very, very quickly. So, you know, as a child, if you think about it in terms of a, a child's brain and their development stage, a child's brain at that level does not have the ability to consider outside sources. So unless there is someone right there informing, and even some of this happens pre-verbal, right? So mm-hmm. like, that's not even a thing, but, but unless there's an interruption where someone comes and says, oh, hey, you know, this is not okay. What's happening? What happened? This is not okay. And I just, I just want you to know, I love you. You are loved. Like, this is not about who you are. Like without that kind of, uh, affirmation or input, mm-hmm. our mind, a young child's mind is going to be very egocentric. It's going to be, this is about me. This is, this is about me and what I've done, or like, it can't be about someone else. The child's brain doesn't have the ability to think that way. It's all about me. So they put it on themselves, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and shame and shame is the difference between something bad happened to me and I'm bad. Like that's mm-hmm. what shame is. It's the, it's that idea that I'm bad. And mm. I think it's just because, I mean, I think it's at least partly because the young brain doesn't have the capacity to take in other considerations. Right. I at mean, that point, a, it's survival. Uh, well, and the child is completely dependent on the caretakers, right? Mm-hmm. And the, and the all, a big people. So you, you can't, yeah, white survival. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't put it on someone else because that puts you in, in a more vulnerable position. So it has mm-hmm. to be, you have to take it out. I don't know. Plus in the brain, I've been reading a book called Soul Shame or Soul Shame, I think. And um, I talk about just the neuron connections and what actually happens in the brain when um, trauma happens. And the thing that's so interesting is not even always sexual trauma or some abusive trauma, but like even just someone saying something in a judgmental way Mm -hmm. comes across to the little innocent, vulnerable, naive brain as, oh, I'm bad. I just disappoint. Like, like it's so, we're so vulnerable and we're so sensitive and every little thing that comes our way, um, if it doesn't come with a sweet, joyful, loving connotation, it comes in as shame and it just builds on itself. So then imagine compounding that with sexual trauma or physical abuse or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. So when we look at trauma, I think sometimes when people think of trauma, they think of these big instances, right. Of, you know, like I was sexually abused or molested or, you know, I had a horrific death in my family, but I I think in my own healing too, I found it's, it's not just one big thing. It's a lot of really little things and trauma doesn't just come in big packages. It can be seen images too soon, you know, before your little brain was ready or before someone explained that or, um, exactly. 
Yeah. Some people talk about in terms of big T, little T. I think all T is, is uh, trauma. But let me give you an example. I had a client one time that was really struggling with her voice. She, she didn't have, uh, she was 25 years old probably and, and just couldn't get, just couldn't get to having a voice. And as we start unpacking things, it turned out that she was really just like a chatterbox, you know, preschool, mm-hmm. you know, before school, went to school. And uh, one of her teachers is just like, sit down and be quiet. You know what I mean? Like it was just yeah. like jarring to her little brain. And it was that, I mean, I'm not just that simple, right? Yeah. But that set her up for being sensitive to being too loud or too noisy or too talking too much. And she just like interpreted that. She made that mean I'm not supposed to talk. I'm not so, and it got, it just, her, her little voice just got put in a box and shoved away. And but we finally got it kind of freed up and stuff, but it was really very, very shocking and traumatic for her. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of, it's, I think we have to look at it in that way to say like, there's a lot of little things and those little things have an impact on our quote unquote confidence and who we are as a human. And ultimately that's going to affect our sexuality, our sexual wellness and how we show up in the world and how we show up with other people. Right. For sure. Yeah. And the way we feel about ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, what we've come to believe about ourselves and ourselves as, uh, as we relate to God, as we relate to other people and as we relate to ourselves. Yeah. Which is really, to me, what sexual wellness is, is it's not just the act of sex, which a lot of people think it is, but it truly is our, our intimate connections with people, with ourselves, with God. And why this conversation is such a big deal is because it's really how we show up in the world. I agree. And how we live out of our passion. Mm -hmm. So when Mm -hmm. we're, and when we're looking at this, I mean, I want to believe that there's probably not a single person who's not been impacted in some kind of way that's negatively influenced how they show up in the world. I don't know how you feel about that. Like how, like, is there anyone who's been unscathed by the world? Well, I think if you think in terms of um, just humanity itself, are we able to communicate 100% all the time from a position of love, joy, and affection? Mm. So if the answer is yes, then maybe. Mm -hmm. But as human beings, we just don't have the ability to do that. And so I think that by nature, um, we communicate in ways often that communicate disdain or contempt or uh, disappointment. Uh, we don't necessarily mean to, um, mm-hmm. but then if you factor it also, you know, most parents are young mm-hmm. and a lot of parents have not done any unpacking of their stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. They come into the marriage or the parenting with a bunch of baggage that they've never really dealt with or, and they're not that self-aware. And so that automatically gets conveyed in how they speak to their kids and treat their kids. I mean, so in that way, I would say we're all affected. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is why we're saving for counseling and not college. Because <laughs> we know we're messing up our kids. <laughs> we were like, if we save for counseling, it's going to work itself out. Like they're going to figure out their life, right? <laughs> Yeah. And you can't do that too soon. I am trying to do that with my kids, like way too soon, you know, get them into counseling so that they could avoid it. But you know, the truth is you're not ready to unpack till you're ready to unpack, you know, and uh, so many ways we have been influenced and we influence our kids. So we just got to have a lot of grace. Lots and lots of grace. (laughs) For ourselves too. For ourselves and for others. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like we're kind of living in this, uh, 
important age that we live in. Ugh. And, you know, whether you look at it or not, I think everyone has been influenced by it, especially mm-hmm. when we talk about sexual health and sexual wellness. Like, I mean, you're living this with counseling couples and, and other, you know, mm-hmm. individuals, like how do you see this impacting people in relationships? It's really interesting that several years ago, I didn't, I just, I just, it, I did not know how to bring it up. And I just started like bringing it up with people and, and like, so like, do you have any, any history of porn or any experience with porn or what was your first sexual um, encounter? And mm-hmm. people are just like, well, well, I mean, porn, of course, like it's such a natural, like, it's just it's like, like a, a given, like normalized thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well, does it everybody, I mean, like, and, and so I started talking about it much more just kind of openly. Like I just start talking about it because it's like, okay, if this is so common and everybody's, so it is a very common part of a conversation I have. And as far as how it affects people, man, you know, I think it's that intimacy. It's the, the object objectification where, uh, in porn, someone is an object of pleasure for someone else. And so you, it starts to desensitize the brain. It starts to, it starts to like, it starts to erode the capacity for intimacy. Mm-hmm. So let's say that we have a capacity for intimacy. And I think everybody does, right? Like even two people in a marriage, like one person might have a big capacity and one pe- very restricted. I, I think of it in terms of like, how big is your pot? You know, like if you're going to pot a plant, you know what I mean? Like the capacity for intimacy is greatly diminished. Uh, mm-hmm. by the use of porn. Uh-huh. And I see it all the time. So that couples can be, uh, they just have trouble like looking at each other in the eye or they have trouble like connecting as far as like emotional connection. It's just such a barrier. Mm-hmm. I kind of sometimes think about it as, cause I get this a lot. Like even when I want to research guests and there's, there's a lot of quote unquote sex therapists who would recommend pornography and the bedroom as oh. a driver of intimacy. And in my head, I can't logically wrap my mind around that because of what I see sexual wellness as being so much more than just, again, getting aroused for a physical act, right? Mm-hmm. It's like that connection. And I kind of think about it like our, our, our friends on social media, right? Like we have this idea that we're connecting with someone online, but we're really not ever connecting. Right. And physically, there's a massive difference that's happening right. in our brains and our emotional connection of like, I think we're friends, but we're really not friends. Therefore, you're never really getting the benefit from it. And mm-hmm. it almost causes more of this like disconnect with who you are as a human. Yeah, I I I agree with you. I can't imagine how porn could be useful for anything other than um, diminishing human value. I don't know. I think our little brains are just too vulnerable for that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. It creates a story. And you know, I'm a big believer in the stories that we tell ourselves. Yeah, me too. Are these stories, you know, obviously porn is creating a new kind of story, whatever that might be. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's a drive for pornography that's different than a human connection, right? It's Mm -hmm. in a way easier, maybe a disconnect. I'm not really sure. I haven't really figured it out yet, but there's a reason people do it. I think it has something to do with convenience, you know, Mm -hmm. um, whatever gets you where you want to go faster, mm-hmm. you know, and I guess that, or maybe you just have lost the inability to connect emotionally. And so that's what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're using that as a, as a tool or a crutch, then you're not actually developing 
the emotional capacity. You're not longing for it and praying for it and fighting off against that, which gets in the way of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And ultimately it's probably never going to be as satisfying. I just, I don't, I I don't think it's made made to be satisfying in that way. Yeah. I think it's, we're made to be curious about each other and explore the person in front of us, Mm -hmm. you know, be interested in the person in front of us and to be the cherished person, the, the apple of the eye. Well, if you're watching two other people, have how attentive, how interested are you in the person right in front of you other than just for a pleasure way? Right, right. I mean, you're kind of missing the the underlying reason sex was yeah. designed. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think if we get too far away from the natural design, um, we have trouble recapturing it. Mm-hmm. And then we create a story that, is is about what I need more than what I uh, or what I desire more than what I need or or to respect the other person for the other person to be seen. And I feel like these are dangerous stories that were probably developed long before pornography started. Do you think most of the stories that we're living out of as adults and reacting to were created in childhood? Absolutely. I, I have never, I've been doing this for I don't know, 12, 15 years. I've never not seen a connection to childhood when you get deeper into the story. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, we, by the time we're 10, five, five, six, seven, 10, I think we've created a foundation for story already Mm -hmm. that then we just build on the rest of our life. I mean, earliest, the earliest things that we take in are already building their story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that really is bringing in a lot of the confidence that's mm-hmm. going to, again, show us how we relate to the world. Like, how how do we then, like, okay, if we're saying this story started a long time ago and it's mm-hmm. led us to act out of this or it's led to kind of this, this pull in our relationships, which is exactly what Peyton and I have found, right? It's like we're almost both living in our younger selves mm-hmm. and we're just pulling <laughs> ourselves apart. Like, it's so selfish because kids are so selfish. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we've done a lot of this work, but can you explain to someone who's listening to this, who's never encountered any kind of counseling or dealing with this younger child, you know, like the inner child work, it seems really foreign. And I think when I first came to it, it was kind of like, what are you telling me? Like, how could I be acting out of my inner child? Like, can you just yeah. kind of explain this part of ourselves and why it's such a powerful voice in our life? Uh, let me try. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Here's the deal. When we are triggered, we are actually reliving something, right? We're, we're, we're connecting to something younger. So we might say like that's in the past and it's not a big thing. Well, right now it's in the present, right? Right now in this triggered state, it's in the present. Um, and what's happened, I think, is that um, these wounds, these traumas, we kind of get like emotionally stuck at certain ages. Right. Um, and maybe multiple ages, but I, I really think that uh, there's developmental stages that we walk through as we're growing up and each stage kind of requires some, some development mm-hmm. before the next stage, before we can do the requirements of the next stage. So if we get stuck emotionally at age four, and this is the requirement is such and such, 
then moving on is is tricky, right? And we might move on with a somewhat fair amount of success, but there's always a part of us that's underdeveloped, you know? And if it's the stage where we are developing social skills, then that might be a place where we're kind of stuck. Or if it's a place where we're developing, um, I don't know, um, logic and reason, um, there's, there's a time in our life stage as a child where we're very abstract, you know, mm-hmm. you can't joke with the kid at this stage because they're going to take you super literally. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe we could do some research and figure out what that age is, you know, but it's like, mm-hmm. if that's where your trauma occurred, you may really have trouble um, hearing more than just one statement that sounds so like matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I think these things carry forward. And then when we're dealing with another person, we might be dealing with them like as a five-year-old emotionally. Right. <laughs> Sometimes I laugh and say like John and I are just like two five-year-olds and we're like adult adulting and married. And it's just <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's dysfunctional, right? Yeah. It's very not healthy. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I think what's confusing or maybe what was always hard for me is like whatever I was triggered, like the pain of my past was protected. Yes. In some way, even though you're always acting out of it, it's never like this glaring sign that like this happened to me and this is why I'm reacting that way. Oh, right. That trauma is buried. So you can't figure out why you're reacting the way that you are, but something triggered like something that might get close to that pain and your body puts up all those barriers. Well, I mean, until you start unpacking your story, until you start seeing the connections and then you can start going, oh, when I do this, it's usually because I'm feeling powerless or helpless or trapped. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is my go-to what I do. Um, but so what I usually say to people is like, I know this sounds really weird. <laughs> um, and it is, mm-hmm. but um, it feels like I'm talking to a, you know, it, what, how old do you feel right now? Yeah. You know, emotionally, how old do you feel? Well, and almost always someone says, I, I teenager, five, six, 20. I mean, it's a different age, you know, it's yeah. just like, and then I'm like, so, so, so let's just kind of sit with that mm-hmm. and see what that age has to say, which mm-hmm. I know sounds really crazy, uh, but it usually doesn't take people long to shift and go, well, yeah, I do kind of feel that way. And yeah, it kind of does make sense that maybe I have some stuff somewhere in the past that this feels a lot like when I tried to help my dad and he told me to, you know, I remember once trying to like, I don't know, my dad expect we were probably seven and nine. He expected us to like hold up a piece of sheetrock above our head in the garage so that he could nail it in and it slipped. <laughs> right. And it's just like, we were bad. Like we did it wrong and we couldn't help him. And he was so mad and there was no way to take it any other way at that time. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And so that kind of logged in in a certain way in my mind. It's just like, I can't, I, I <laughs> right. you get paralyzed. Right. And you created a story around it. Right. Exactly. What just keeps living out of that over and over, like the repeated, why people get stuck in repeated cycles. Exactly. There's and they're a hard story. to get out of. Right. Yeah. They are hard. And, you know, I really think that the way this works, I don't know. I don't know if this is clinical or biblical or anything, but it really feels like when we start doing this work and we do it, you know, prayerfully, 
it feels like God, he knows where those unpacked places are and he wants to bring them out. He wants to draw them out of us. And it feels like as he does that, as he works in us gradually to unpack and unwrite, um, unpack the story, in that process, we start to understand things from a more uh, contextual way. Mm-hmm. And the story starts to dismantle. Mm-hmm. And as the story, like our story, my story, the one I wrote, the one that I signed my name to and vowed to, it starts to dismantle when I start to consider other outside things that might've been included in this story. And it's almost like there's a new soil for, for, for his word then to deep, you know, root in deeper. Mm -hmm. It's like a new story gets created that doesn't make me the problem or the, you know, the victim or the, whatever it is that I've got myself pegged at. Yeah. And that, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes when I sit down on your couch and I'm like, come on, God, not again. Like no more. <laughs> We've been I, here. We've done this. I know, like, isn't it over yet? Okay. But when I first started healing and I think before I started doing this work, I always just thought that I could escape it. Like that somehow mm-hmm. like changing the story meant completely erasing the past. Yep. And I think a lot of people get there and get stuck in that idea that we can somehow just escape what's been done to us and completely forget it forever. Right. But, and that like makes healing incredibly impossible one, because it's impossible to escape. Like it's not about changing what's been done to you. It's about changing the story. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that we, we are so, so hard on ourselves, but I think that without curiosity and capacity for I don't know. Like if if, we, if, if if people are willing to take a season and it's not like we're going to go there and we're going to wallow forever. That's where we're going to stay stuck. Right. But if they'll be willing to take a season to let, to let the story unfold and unpack. I think that it, with compassion and curiosity, but without that, you know, we just kind of like have a way of, well, part of the story is, well, she's dumb or she, she, my, my younger self, she's, she's too broken. She's, she's damaged beyond repair. She's, whatever. And I've written her off in some way. And so with that kind of attitude and of feelings, you, the healing is almost impossible. Right. Mm-hmm. But in, but as soon as we start to kind of like unpack and understand these self-protective mechanisms, the way that we've written this so that we don't have to deal with her, mm-hmm. um, it starts to make space and compassion and curiosity for that to happen. It's yeah. really the craziest thing. Right. The strangest process. (laughs) It is the strangest process, but it really is impactful because again, it's like when we get back to like sexual wellness, if you can't unpack this in yourself and almost be intimate in yourself, like you'll Mm -hmm. never be that way with someone else. Like they'll always be a barrier or you'll always be acting based on how you think you should be acting. Mm -hmm. And instead of just being like true intimacy is like that wholeness, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's being confident in yourself enough to be relational with other people. And again, that comes with the confidence in who you are and who you were designed for. Yeah. But how do you help people achieve that confidence in themselves? Is it writing, changing the story? Is it doing this work? Is it, how do you? It's all of that. Yeah. It's all of that. And I think the first step is when someone's willing to say, 
I've tried everything. I, I've tried everything to figure out this, uh, you know, all the self-help books in the world, all the, you know, whatever it is that we try to do. We've got so many interesting coping mechanisms and self-protection techniques mm-hmm. and stuff. But it, at some point in life, you just realize it's, it's just not working. I, mm-hmm. I can't, I have something that I want to, I want to get here and I can't. And I've tried everything I know. And then it's like, you get to a point where it's like, okay. I mean, I remember when I first started this healing process, I was just like, I don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go there. I'm terrified, but I have, I I know I have to. And uh, so I went in with just a, well, for a while I went in with, I'm going to force these memories. I'm going to make this happen. (laughs) Well, that didn't work either. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That did not work. But um, eventually I gave up on that too and realized that, you know, God was going to have to lead the process. Mm. He was going to have to, he was going to have to show me what I couldn't see and take me places I didn't even know were there. Uh huh. Yeah. So when you, when you start working with someone who has some level of sexual trauma or trauma in general, like for someone listening who maybe doesn't have a therapist or a counselor, like what are a few things that you would tell them to start? thinking about or doing, or do you have any tips? Well, the one thing I would recommend, which I think is kind of hard to do, but I, I, I try to help people start like listening to the tape that's playing in their head. Mm. And if you can start to just jot down some of the things you hear, mm-hmm. like, I'm so stupid. I'm so done. This is so like, you start to get a sense of like, is this a positive affirming tape or is it mm-hmm. negative destructive, you know, but you can start to hear like, like some, some conclusions like, like, well, I'm just damaged beyond repair. Like mm-hmm. I, it's not, I, it's not fixable. Well, that's a story. That's a, that's a storyline. That's insightful, incredibly helpful. Right. If that's what I'm telling myself, if that's what's going on in that inner tape and people are like, I don't have a tape play. Oh yes, you do. There's a constant tape playing in everybody's mind as they interact with the world. Do you, do you agree? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. Like, I think we're always telling ourselves stuff and it's easy to block out that chatter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's part of our defense. It's part of our coping to to block it out. But if you start tuning in, if you start actually listening and just start recording some of the things that you hear, it's pretty alarming and it should reveal like, like if it's positive and encouraging and affirming, great. You know, you probably aren't even thinking about needing a counselor yeah, <clears throat> or to unpack anything. But I think that typically we have a very self-destructive, very negative, very uh, self-deprecating tape that's plain. And it reveals in that tape, there's a lot of interesting conclusions that we've made that get revealed mm-hmm. the way that we've made sense of things it comes across in that narrative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like naming things. Yeah. I don't want to say makes it go away, but I feel like it, it makes sense of maybe what's not making sense. It's a starting point. And I can Uh tell you one of the most uh, powerful things that happens in any counseling session or any conversation with any two people is validation. Yeah. When, when someone says, man, that sucks, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like, oh, it does suck. Like it helps you to start seeing it in a different way. And it yeah. also like, like naming, like naming something also it, it unlocks. It's the starting points. Like if I can say, 
I was abused or I was violated or I was like, it, it gives us a starting place. And yeah, it's, it, there's a whole lot to do with that, but um, you can't go anywhere until you've acknowledged kind of things that happen that have impacted you that have fed into the way that you're still operating in this world and in relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's even like things like this last time when I met with you, I said something about being a victim. And I was like, I hate that I said that I was a victim because I hate that word. I hate what it means. Like I hate everything about it. And you said, well, maybe you should just let yourself feel like a victim for a minute. Like maybe that's justified. Uh-huh. And I was kind of mad at you for saying that at first. I'm like, I will not be a victim. Like, but I the, am not a victim. But that was also, I think, a protective mechanism that was preventing me from getting to that trauma. And like, in my head, I had made it seem like a good thing because I'm really good at making things seem like this is the positive thing. This is the right thing for me to do because that's what self-help books tell me. And it almost, sometimes those self-help books have let me build more barriers for books. Even when we talk about sexual education and sex talk of like, okay, this is what I think I need to do to be more intimate. And so you almost use that as your crutch to not actually do the work to understand, but why am I believing that Mm -hmm. I'm no good, that no one likes me, that, you know, my husband doesn't think I'm beautiful or whatever that story Mm -hmm. is, you know, like for me, it was like, I will not be a victim. (laughs) (laughs) Was preventing me from being okay to say like, you know, like I was a victim. At one time. At one time. And in in a way, owning that for that brief moment when we were there and doing this work, it has allowed me to say like, but that doesn't have to be my story. Exactly. You know, like, for so long, it was like me telling myself I wasn't a victim was not changing my story. (laughs) No, (laughs) it was just causing this inner diet, like this inner war of like me versus my younger self. And I think so many people are stuck there trying to do all of the right things, but feeling like nothing is working. (laughs) Yeah. And it's gotta be that inner war. And it's, it's like you said, naming things or saying underneath the surface, like you giving me permission or, you know, kind of encouraging me to own that for a minute was what mm-hmm. I needed to actually, in a matter of not that long, work right. through. I mean, that whole process that we did was still mind boggling. It took yeah. probably, I don't know, probably an hour. I don't know. Probably not yeah. even. <laughs> well, it opens a door. It opened yeah. a door to like, fix, like, just let your, give yourself permission to be like, okay, what, how how what did happen mm-hmm. and and like have some compassion on yourself as a victim it's just like oh <clears throat> you know before I started doing this 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 and this I actually was terrified and hurt and vulnerable and like like I don't know all the circumstances and the truth is we don't have to relive everything that happened to us that's not the purpose of it it's not to re-traumatize it's to like sort out and, and God's so gracious and good. Like, I, I just don't, I, I just don't, I don't think we have to like relive everything that's ever happened, but somehow we know enough, mm-hmm. we get enough that we can piece pieces together. I love puzzles. I still love puzzles. Yeah. Just, like <laughs> the more puzzle pieces people say, well, you don't want to upset them. You don't need to give them more information. Well, you know what? Sometimes more information is incredibly helpful. It unlocks something. It's like, oh my God, no wonder. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, no wonder. I remember at one time, one of the most important things to me, 
and, and not everybody can get this, right? Because sometimes the people are dead or you can't reach them or whatever. But it was really important for my dad to say, yes, we, I put you in a vulnerable position. Like our home was not a safe place because of the people I invited in because of this. And it's like, like, yeah, it was not a good protective environment for ch- young children. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Because up until yeah. that point, it's like, it's just being dismissed. It's being ignored. It's being denied. It's just like, no, every, every, it was a fine home. Everybody does that. Da, 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 da. Well, that was not my experience. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I think that sometimes we can't get that piece and we have to manage without it, but that was key for me. Yeah. And just because everyone does it doesn't mean it's the right thing. <sighs> right. I mean, that's a whole nother beast. And I think about that too, even like with porn, right? Like everyone's like, well, everyone's doing yeah. it or, yeah. but, but is that the right thing? And right. is it right for you? Like, does it make you feel safe? Does it make you feel connected? Mm-hmm. Does like, I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's fair to ask all of those questions to say, I like, do too. I mean, we have to, right? Like, yeah, we can't I do keep too. Ignoring the reality. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about the sponsors of the Summer's Podcast series. As I mentioned earlier, one of my favorite companies, Athletic Greens, is sponsoring today's show in support of better health and sexual wellness. I did a little experiment with Athletic Greens because this isn't my first rodeo with greens powder. I wanted to know how was it actually influencing my health on a cellular level, and I have to say the results were shocking. My little experiment included a pre- and post-analysis of micronutrient values after taking AG1 daily or almost daily for those four months, and the results showed it worked in powerful ways. I was able to come off nearly all of my other supplements by consuming one scoop of AG1 daily. Plus, I actually enjoyed the taste. Dare I say even crave it? If you're wondering how it tastes, let me tell you, it's the best tasting greens I've ever experienced. I was fully prepared for the post-green shiver. You know the one where you kind of have to force it down? But this is surprisingly delicious and refreshing. It has a slight tropical taste that is very mild. I actually look forward to it every single morning. The power is really in their quality. AG1 has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energies recovery, focus, and aging, and even sexual wellness. It's really full body support, which is what I love the most about them and while I'll stand on the rooftops to tell you about it. I encourage you, try it out for a month and see what you think. As I mentioned, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash made for living to get started boosting your health with one scoop a day. That's athleticgreens.com backslash made for living. I also wanted to mention one more thing before we get back to the show. I just launched and created, especially for the sexual wellness series, a program called the five-day hormone reset. It's really more than just five days, but it encompasses all the information you need to know about what your hormones actually are and how you can healthify them for men and for women. Inside this five-day hormone reset, I laid out a clear and concise plan to help you create space for your body to heal and your hormones to thrive. Because here's what I know. Hormone health is directly to tie to overall health of our body. If your body isn't healthy or safe, your reproductive system powers down, creating dysfunction in your sexual hormone release and causing all kinds of symptoms. But it's not that difficult to get back. 
If you give your body the space and nutrients it needs, it will do what it needs to do. It knows how to heal. We just need to give it the right environment to do so. And inside this five-day reset, I give you the exact plan you need to healthify your body, to provide the space that it needs to heal, and supply natural energy, opening up detox pathways without deprivation or starvation, or really any external medications or supplements. A program done with only real, wholesome, and delicious food designed to leave you well-fed. Plus, it comes with three 30-minute educational videos to help you understand what your hormones are, which is different than what you've been taught, and also what you need to know about your hormones depending on if you're menstruating or menopausal or even a man. Yes, this one's for men as well. Find out more and grab the mini course at thelivingwell.com backslash hormone reset and use the code ASEXTALK for $25 off throughout this series. Okay, let's get back to the show. Okay, so I have a few more questions. I could talk to you forever. (laughs) (laughs) But when you work with couples, I mean, obviously intimacy is a big deal in a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. What do you see is influencing that? And what encouragement do you have for couples to regain a sense of intimacy in their relationship? Oh, that's a, that's a big one. Um, yeah, I think that so much of it is, you know, we can look at our spouse, but we're not looking at our spouse. We're actually seeing a perpetrator or, a Mm. or, uh, something dangerous. And it's really hard sometimes to like disconnect and go, no, this person is safe. This Mm. is, this person's never hurt me. This person, like, I think that's that's part of what every person needs to do is um, it's a it's a way of staying present. I, I think we have attitudes towards each other. You know, like oftentimes I'll say like, "What's what seeds of resentment are building in you? Where are you storing things that you haven't really talked about, but they're starting to fester?" You know, like. Um, I don't know, to give each other the benefit of the doubt, to to think well of the other person. I mean, assuming that there's not physical abuse going on or mm-hmm. violent, you know, assuming all that, because that's a whole nother different consultation. But um, I don't know if that's answering your question. I'm not sure exactly. Will you ask that again? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like, how do you rebuild intimacy when intimacy has been oh. lost? Oh, well, it takes time for sure. I mean, I've worked with several couples where there's betrayal and I think betrayal comes in many forms, not just, you know, someone having an affair, but I think pornography is a betrayal. There's lots of ways the trust are broken down and it has to be uh, redeveloped and it takes time. And it, it means that that person needs to um, be where they say they're going to be many, many times. And they need to like stop doing what they were doing and, um, and, and I think people need to a do their own work and then also be considerate of each other and, and uh, be curious about each other. That's probably the biggest thing is that curiosity gets boxed up so early in our life. Most of the, so many times. And if you're not curious about that, if you think, you know, and you stop asking, you stop being curious, stop asking questions. It's just, it's a recipe for, uh, well, you're not going to expand intimacy for sure. Yeah. But I think to, to be knowing that this is something you want, that you want to be more connected, that you want to be seen, that you're willing to let the B 
be yourself be seen and see the other person and be curious, it will develop. It's slow, but it'll happen. Yeah. And I feel like I like that you said that because when people are falling in love, right, there's a huge curiosity to it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You're learning about someone else. It feels exciting. It's adventurous. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge thing that is lost uh-huh. in marriages, right? As yeah. life gets mundane. And I think curiosity and creativity mm-hmm. are two things that get boxed up even as children often. Mm-hmm. Those are the, the enjoy, you know, and just carefreeness. Those are things that just kind of not just outgrow. We don't just outgrow them, which we do, but also sometimes they just get boxed up and locked mm-hmm. up and put away. Like that is not okay to be curious and it's not okay to be creative. And, you know, and those are things that make a f- marriage flourish. You know, mm-hmm. they're the things that keep it exciting and interesting and adventurous and Mm-hmm. Yeah, which you is know? interesting that you said that because there is some research that shows that sexuality and sexual wellness or health is actually part of your creativity. It is your uh-huh. ability to connect in your creativity. And uh-huh. so when that's squashed, when you don't have the confidence in that area, kind of, yeah. I don't know, you know, just yeah. through life, going through the motions. Exactly. And, you know, how many times do I hear people say, well, we're just roommates, you know, we get along really well. We, you know, we're just roommates, but. I don't feel connected. We don't have anything in common and, you know, we're not having sex and, you know, all these things. And it's, it's like, how do we restore curiosity? How do do we restore that? And I don't believe that porn fits into the creative uh, pool. Um, I don't, I don't believe that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I don't either. I think there's so much distraction. It's not that creative actually. (laughs) No, No, it's not. It's the only way they make it creative is add violence and, you know, and that's not, that's not yeah, intimacy. Yeah. So when you talk about not feeling safe with your partner or, you know, maybe letting, looking at them as a perpetrator, mm-hmm. is that really seeing them as not safe or is that seeing or not being safe in yourself? Yeah, no, it's definitely projection. It's mm-hmm. something that I'm either projecting onto that person or something in myself that I'm, but again, I'm projecting it onto them. Projection is such a interesting thing that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm feeling shame about something and I can't, I can't handle it. I'm going to, I'm going to put it on someone else to just share the burden of it, which is so not healthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a very, it's a very, you know, effective diffuser for mm-hmm. us. It's a, it's a coping protective thing, but it's very destructive. I mean, it's why the world is the way it is, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> how do you yeah. start feeling safe with yourself? Oh, uh, how do you start feeling safe with yourself? You know, I think about this, um, I say, I say it in terms of like a sense of inner well-being, mm. um, and that's something that gets developed over time. I and mean, most people are familiar on some level with attachment, mm-hmm. um, issues and there's so many, it's just, let me just explain, first of all, what healthy, secure attachment is, yeah. because I think that that will help us understand what we're needing to accomplish. And I think that that is where, uh, you know, think of an infant that is um, cooing and the mom coos back and she's smiling and the mom smiles back. Each time that happens, there's like a, a connection that's made a very secure, like that child is starting to learn already that I'm going to get my needs met. Right? I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put out a plea for attention. And I'm going to get it met. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's going to happen frequently and consistently and positive, right? Which doesn't happen perfectly, which is, you know, another kind of attachment. There's different kinds of attachment, but a secure attachment is that there's a consistent 
um, positive interaction between that child and a caretaker over time. Mm-hmm. And as time goes on, the child doesn't need as much of that because they've, they've, they feel secure, right? And so then they can go explore and they explore a little bit farther and then they feel secure in that a little bit farther and then they can go a little bit farther, you know, and because there's this secure, like, I know I'm going to be loved. I know I'm going to be cared for. I know that I'm going to, my needs are going to be met. And, um, and so now as adults, you know, like, how do we develop that? How do we develop a sense of well-being where we're inside? I feel okay, regardless of how others are doing. And I saw one of your, one of your questions was, you know, that we're only as healthy as our most unhealthy relationships. Mm-hmm. Do you, how truthful, I don't know. You know, I think that that's the way the culture believes, you know, mm-hmm. and I think about that. I've got kids, you know, and my kids are struggling, I'm struggling, but I, I work really hard at, at working to have an inner peace, regardless of what's going on in their, mm-hmm. in their world, because I've become so connected and so dependent on their happiness for my happiness. I don't think that's healthy. Um, yeah. I like that. Yeah. It can't be healthy. It's not. And so, so I think that like, um, part of that is, um, you know, call it what you will prayer meditation. There's a sense of talking to myself with truth, you know, like I'm actually okay. I'm concerned for this person, mm-hmm. but there's nothing I can do right now. Like there might be right. And if there is, I'm going to do it, but in general, this is a bigger need than I can fill in. And I'm going to be praying for them, you know, that, that they will, I'm going to meet the needs that I can, but I'm not going to overmeet. I'm not yeah. going to overmeet them. And I'm not going to over angst for them because, you know, the truth is it's my own angst that has gotten me to healing, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, if someone's constantly fixed, helping me or fixing me or resolving things for me, I don't feel it myself. I don't feel the need. And if I don't feel the, an intrinsic motivation to heal, it's not going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's kind of a lot to say, but I, I don't, I do think that we can find it. I think that in our mates now, our spouses now there's, you know, if they are a safe person, we can actually start creating some new attachment bonds. Mm-hmm. Like our brain is plastic. It can create new ways of interacting. So fires together, wires together. Right. So mm-hmm. if, if I've, you know, I've been married 22 years now and there's been a lot of like safe connection points. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a, a lot, almost all are safe connection points. You know what I mean? And so it's like, that's re- that's building a sense of trust me. That's building a sense of security. Like it doesn't have to be perfect, but I know, I know deep down that I'm safe and it's okay. And I can explore yeah. a little bit from this place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that happens in relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. Not that a single person can't create healthy attachments. You know, you've got friends and you've got community people and stuff. But um, then there's also the personal work, you know, me and the Lord. And it's me growing in my own faith Mm -hmm. and developing a sense of uh, well-being that's not contingent on any other human being. Right. And and is that where you would say confidence is birthed out of? Your own? I do. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, we walk around with a lot of, confidence facade mm-hmm. yeah and it looks like we have confidence that's why so many of us are like we go oh they've got it made or, oh da, 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 yeah. da. that is just bs everyone is dealing with some kind of something and has some level of unpacking to do and woundedness and um yeah and if we can just operate in the world with a little bit more grace and compassion knowing that you know if somebody's being a royal bi you know what mm-hmm. uh 
they're probably really insecure or hurting or struggling in some way. Yeah. And that, that helps us shift our perspective or our interaction. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think since I've started doing this work in myself and realizing my own triggers and trauma, you're more graceful for other people for and sure. what they're going through. Maybe not my husband quite as much. But I was just going to say, I was going to say the husband tends to be the last one. <laughs> Because <laughs> he should be perfect. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> okay, this you kind of answered this, but I think you know, before I get into some of the questions people had asked um me to ask you, I want to know like how do you live with your trauma without being influenced by it? In the new story, maybe it can be categorized in a different way, you know, where where we were able to tell ourselves now, um, mm-hmm. again with the new storyline that I have. I have some wounds. So it's kind of the difference between I'm damaged beyond repair, which is my old storyline, and I'm wounded and in the process of healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very different storyline. You know, very it's, it's yeah. the way that we rewrite it that, that helps us live in it. Like, oh, yeah, I'm wounded. Like, there's a lot of woundedness. And and I have the capacity and I'm not defined by it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, my old storyline was I'm defined. This is who I am. Like, I am broken and I am damaged and I am, I can't connect with people. And it's so limiting. It's so rigid. And now it's like, oh no, I'm wounded. I'm healing. I'm, I'm working to expand my, my ability to trust and intimacy. And, and, and actually I am actually communicating in healthier ways in a lot of ways, Uh, not perfectly. Right. But, but to the degree that I'm working on this stuff, I actually, and I can see this so much in one of my daughters. It's like when she's doing her recovery work, I can talk to her. We can talk. We can connect because it's not all blame, blame, blame on me. You yeah. know, it's like she's owning her own stuff and mm-hmm. she's she's uh, much more kind and considerate. And she can see and she'll say, oh, no, no, I wasn't trying to do that. And we still fall into old patterns a lot, you know, because of our dynamic. But it's like we can we can stop and say, oh, no, no, I'm not doing that. I know that's what you're used to seeing. That's not what I'm doing. I actually am asking that from a place of curiosity and wonder, not judgment or criticism. Yeah. 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 That's so good. Okay. I have a few questions that people have wanted me to ask you. Oh, um, I have. So this is fine. Um, one of them is, and I think a lot of people will relate to this, but, um, it, she asked, my husband is addicted to porn and every time we get intimate, I can't help but think of what I'm not compared to what I know he has seen. How do I deal with this? How does I, you know, and I think really the question is, how is it not about me? Is it about me? Yeah, boy, that's a really hard one because it, it hits us at the very most personal place, right. Mm-hmm. Um, of self-esteem. I, um, I think that part of it is, is to tell, is the, is the telling yourself like, this is, this is not about me. I wonder if there's a way, I don't actually know. I wonder if there's a way to help that person be present. Like, Hey, uh, is a, a really hard place for me because I see so much destruction and damage in sessions um, because, um, you know, the guy will say, I want you to wear big earrings, or I want you to like color your hair, or I want you to wear high heels, or I want you to pose a certain way, or I want to, and I'm just so disgusted by that. Um, it's hard for me to be objective. <laughs> well, it really is. It, it really is. And I have a really hard time here, but I can't help but think that's their own trauma too, right? Like, you know, like the deep level of their core, they have to be so insecure. Yeah. So 
Yeah. To say that. To be able to say, this is not, this really is not about me. Now the question is, do you want to continue having sex with someone who is so disconnected? I mean, that's the hard part, right? I don't know how to advise on that, but you've got to tell yourself, "Ah, this is not about me. They've got their own little story going on. And I don't even know what part I played it, but it's, you know, Mm -hmm. it's got to be some kind of self-care story that says, this is not personal. And I'm going to, I'm going to stay present in the best way that I can. Um, and I'm going to grieve mm-hmm. the, the lack of intimacy later, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's such a, it's such a battle. And I mean, it's clearly a battle that over half of relationships are facing. Uh-huh. I mean, it's a huge battle, but it is, it's like, like your most vulnerable state to yeah. have compassion on what someone is truly doing to that vulnerable state and how to not create a story around that. Like that's gotta be the most difficult part for the person who is on the other end of, of this to not create a story that it's them, that it's yeah. their fault, that it's not, you know, that if they looked better or, you know, if they could do X, Y, and Z, then they could capture their attention. I'm not actually sure we should even continue engaging mm-hmm. in those actions when it is like that. When you sense that this is, that they're actually visualizing someone else or that they're asking you to do things. I actually think it might be more loving in the long run to say, I'm not going to interact in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to be intimate with you when, and if you can um, appreciate me in this, this is what I'm comfortable with. And this is where I'm willing to, I, I just, I think that I'm not sure we should be continuing in those interactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you call it abuse? I would, mm-hmm. I, I would, it's a trust. It feels unsafe. I mean, it's not. And, mm-hmm. and, and I really, I don't even know if you're how, how that should be viewed, but I just, I don't think it should be um, tolerated. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you stop interacting in that way, uh, it's going to force that other person to deal with their stuff and they're going to blame you and they're going to do all kinds of things, but they still need to deal with their stuff. And I think it's, it's more honoring to you and to them in the long run Mm -hmm. to have that, in other words, kind of be called out, you know, or at least a boundary put up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this was really um, eye-opening to me in different situations, but to almost like, I think you once told me the most healing thing you can do or the most loving thing you can do for someone else is let them do their own healing Uh and not try to just like mask it or pick up the pieces of that. And I think we're so like in our minds, we think that's the right thing to do or, you know, in the Christian space, the Christian thing to do and to do the right thing. But sometimes that's causing more damage to them and it's prolonging what they're able to do and they're healing. And it, like you said, it's not going to be fun or beautiful for a while, but it could be the most beautiful thing in the end. It it might be. And it might not, you know, they might not, they might walk away and then Mm -hmm. you've got to deal with that too. But, um, I, I do think that we cover for people way too much and that we play into the facade. Mm -hmm. And I think to the degree that we continue to participate in a facade is, is detrimental to ourselves, to them to um, people that are in our world watching us. Like I just, for big long-term overall healing, Mm -hmm. I think these things need to be identified. And um, I think we need to have strong boundaries with it. 
This might be a theology question and it's kind of, it might feel like a side point, but I feel like it hits home on this. Do you think in Christian theology that God wants us to be healthy before we help other people? Absolutely. I I think, okay. Yes and no. Um, I don't think, I think it's going to be tricky to be fully healthy. Right. And I think that God works in us in in many, many ways even in the process of getting healthy. So I don't think it's quite that black and white. Um, I do think that he wants us to be working, becoming more like him and healing and growing in many, many ways. And I think as we do that, there's a much different overflow that comes from us that impacts people in a very much different way. Yeah. Um, Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I think there is like, I mean, I didn't really want to talk about purity culture on here because we've mentioned it before, but I think in that purity culture of like the men need sex, women must give to men. Mm. And that that theology of like men mm. can't help it. This is how they were created. That's not theology. No, that's not biblical at all. But it, <laughs> it is a it is a voice in the Christian space, right? It, for sure. Which ugh, yes. You yeah. know, like and and when we talk about that to say, like, no, they equally need to own <laughs> mm-hmm. their own. Sin mm-hmm. and issues, but women are just as sexual. I mean, the I mean, when you talk yeah. about libido, maybe even more than men. Yeah, it's yeah. expressed in different ways, right? And sometimes we don't have we we've created a story that's so against the female, you know, libido and sexuality, yeah. and yeah. it's kind of like I feel like I look at that and think sometimes like I, that can't be godly to think. Well, I like in this case, like, well, he's addicted to porn, but I need to give to him because like. Gosh, like I can't, like I can't wrap my mind that that. Yeah, I do hate how how cr- good Christian biblical truth gets twisted and distorted, and I I think that there's a there's a way that I think ideally we give from an overflow with the assumption that our needs are met by God. And then we meet others needs from the overflow. Like I think that we missed that assumption that our needs are met too. Our needs are important too. Like, I think that we, we just hear that selfless sacrifice kind of thing. And it's just like, Oh, we're supposed to like um, deny ourselves. And we are, but deny ourselves with the fact that our needs are met yeah. and our other, like, I don't exactly know how to say it, but I just think we missed something there. Right. Uh, like, 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 okay, so it's going to cost me, but you're going to benefit. I don't think that's an equation that God is pleasing to the Lord. I think that a, an equation that works is like both people are honored and the honoring of both people in any interaction mm-hmm. pleases God. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm submitting to someone who's doing porn, it's working for him, but it's cost like it's detrimental mm-hmm. to mine, yeah. you know? Um, and I don't think that that's ultimately what my husband wants. He just doesn't, you know, how do I most best love my spouse is to get him help where he needs help. Yeah. And not to play God in that picture. Right. Right. And I think sometimes when in my own bad theology, like my act of giving or trying to fix other people was me trying to play God. And we've had to do a lot of work in that area. And that's where I'm like, okay, I think the most, the, the thing God wants for me most is to heal myself, work on myself and let God mm-hmm. be God. Mm-hmm. And to be there, like you said, confront other things without trying to fix them. And I think sometimes we think we can fix our marriage by just giving to our husband or yeah. our spouse, even if they're doing this, right? Like 
I mean, I like where you're going with that of, yeah, helping them without compromise your, yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think it's just like with a kid who is being snarky or sarcastic or whatever, you can say, um, you know what, I really want to have a discussion with you. And I'm happy to do that when you are able to talk to me with respect and kindness, you know, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to walk away from this Mm -hmm. conversation and I'm welcoming you to, you know, to join you as soon as you're able to do that. Kind of like that. You know what I mean? Like I want to be intimate with you. I want to be connected to you and close, but this is not, I'm not going to do it in this way where I feel compromised or unsafe or vulnerable. And Mm -hmm. so I'm going to disengage from this. Um, I just want you to know that the door is open when you are able to see me as a human being and connect with me in a personal way. Yeah. And we have to remember that men, young boys are equally as traumatized sexually as women, maybe even at a faster rate than women or than young well, girls. Especially boys who have had sexual um, uh, abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know why. It's shameful for everybody, right? But it is in, in the healing process, it's particularly difficult for men to own their sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so, it's just so much different shamefully, you know, yeah. or, or I don't know why culturally, mm-hmm. maybe because yeah. men don't talk about the, I, I don't know, but I do find that that's a real, it's a real trick to get guys to, mm-hmm. um, go there. Yeah. I mean, statistically, I think on average, they say young boys see sexual images three years before a young female will, which, mm. w- which has got to be somewhere between the ages of what, six and eight, nine, I mean, alarming, but then I was having this conversation with Peyton the other day and I was like, but also it's so normalized for the male species. Like, you know, you'll go into like a garage into like a man cave and it's like nudies on the wall, Mm -hmm. like poster, Mm -hmm. like, you know, we've grown up in cultures where young boys have seen their dads, Mm -hmm. you know, with stacks of playboys or, you know, almost in a way normalizing the fact that young boys should be looking at. Right females in a provocative sexualized way, which yep. creates another story for them. Not to say that what any husband is like, or anyone looking at porn against the spouse's will is correct, but also helping them to create that space to recognize their own trauma. Like there's probably trauma underneath the surface of that too. Um, absolutely. It's, it's uh, alarming. Like you said, how and so it's not even like we say normalize. I think another interesting word to use is desensitizing. Mm-hmm. Um, just like, you know, these, these games with guns and shooting, it's no big deal. They're not real people. Okay. Well, are people dying? Yeah. Are you sh- using a gun to shoot them? Yeah. Okay. It's real in your brain. Your brain doesn't know the difference between real and car- caricature. Mm-hmm. So like um, we're desensitizing ourselves to intimacy, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it's based on acts. It's not an emotional connection. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, nobody, you know, people don't, well, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> we need to have more conversations about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. The next one was, what if I'm not attracted to my spouse? Uh-huh. How do uh-huh. you get that back? Can you get that back? Uh, what do you think? I mean, I I think it goes back to that curiosity again. Like I loved when you said that curiosity and that creativity. And, and I think there's something life can look so black and white when you're so mundane, you know, when you're so so close off and I've experienced that, you know, like I've lost the color of life at moments in my life. And yeah, I, I, I mean, I absolutely think you can get it back. I think it's, it's a cultural thing to like, 
to just be like, well, we're too different. We're too da 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 da. But I think that um, the story has closed it off. The story mm-hmm. has made it like I'm done here. I'm going to move on to something else. I think that um, the way that we think about our spouse makes a huge difference. So if you're looking at them with um, disdain and contempt and stuff, that's how you're going to see them and treat them. But if you start to look at them as like a, a you know, a creature created in the image of God, like someone who is like made with the purpose and has their own feelings and emotions and pain and wound. If you can start to see them with that kind of compassion and curiosity, it does revive something. It really does. And if you start to ask questions, like things that you don't really know, or, or like try to find some kind, like, like, I don't know, I've never done this. You never done. Let's go try this or let's, Mm -hmm. you know, or, or, or even when you, you know, give up your preference to do something that they want to do. It actually um, grows something in you. Like, like if there's something about selfless giving um, that actually benefits us too. There's, yeah, there's ways that this can be recapped and recaptured and um, a new story can be written. It's, it's not easy. It's not a quick fix. I think a lot of this is kind of, I hate to say this, but like a lifelong process. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but um and it comes in layers, healing, healing comes in layers, you know, we, we, you know, it wouldn't be good for us to go straight to the bottom and the root of everything, you know, first time around, like, I think it's a process. And I think God honors our timing. And I think he knows not, he doesn't honor our timing, but I think he's very patient with us and we can trust his timing Mm -hmm. on how our healing process takes. I just don't want to give anybody the impression that it's kind of like a, oh, six months and you're done kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so quick and easy. That would be the easy answer. Just be like, well, just move on. But there's like no satisfaction in that because when we're, when we live that chasing life, nothing will really ever satisfy that. No, but slow growth and development and becoming more and more, um, who you truly are Mm -hmm. when you, when you have a new story to live in and it's Mm -hmm. super, it's, it's very exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Think of it in terms of rigid versus flexible, the more rigid something is, um, the harder it is to manage and it just has to be a certain way and da, 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 da. But the more flexible it is, like you can, you can be with people easier because truthfully people are quirky. Yeah. You know, we're, we're all kind of quirky. And so the more flexibility you have, the more you can operate in the world without being so uptight and angsty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. Okay. Last one. I'm not married yet, but seriously dating. And I'm worried that I'm going to choose the wrong husband. Someone mm. not compatible to me. How do I make sure he is the right one? I yeah, chuckle at this because I'm like, is this, re- is there really soulmates? Like, is there, like, is that really a thing? Like, I mean, someone's always going to hurt you, right? I don't, I don't really believe in the soulmate thing. I, I, I love the idea of it. I really do. Yeah. It's like um, a fantasy world, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that if you're, if, if you want to kind of be the person that you need to be to attract a, a, a person that's, I think, you know, I tell my kids, I said, you know what, does the person have, like, are they self-aware? Are they willing to grow? What's their mm-hmm. growing capacity, their willingness uh, and self-awareness? If, if they, not that they're perfect or right there where you want to be, but do they have potential? Are they self-aware? Are they willing to like grow? Are they flexible to some degree? Like, like if those things are there, you got someone to work with, right. You yeah. know, and, and and it's nice if there's chemistry. I, I still don't know how I, I still don't know how I feel about that. Like I, um, 
there's been a lot of in the in the history, you know, a rearranged prearranged marriages, and I, I think chemistry is nice and all that stuff. I I don't know about all that, but I do think that you really you're going to be companions for a long time, mm-hmm. and you you really do want someone that you can connect with emotionally, have some fun with, and grow with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. Okay. Last question. What's, what's some advice that you want to leave people with as we, you know, as they go into battle with their trauma, as they work on intimacy and building confidence, like what's your lasting piece of advice that you would give? Grace, 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 mm-hmm. be compassionate with yourself, um, have grace, um, and know that there's a bigger purpose for it. Like there's a reason to do this season uh, and our multiple seasons, like, like it's valuable. There's nothing really more important, um, to help you connect different in the world, mm-hmm. to show up different, to actually be uh, a contributor to society. It's, mm-hmm. it's a really important thing because, uh, apart from healing, we just walk around with brokenness and, uh, we project, we blame, we do all kinds of really weird, icky things. And, um, it's just hard to connect with people and be, a positive influence when mm-hmm. we're operating from that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good, Laura. It, this has been amazing. I love yeah. having you on the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank for you the so much for being here and sharing this. And I'm sure we're going to get lots of questions. So maybe later this summer, we can jump on a class and, and do more work in this area because it is really vital to everything in life, including your health. Absolutely. And there's some very, very different views on on health and wholeness and healing and sexual stuff Mm -hmm. too. Very, very different views. So I'm sure that some of what I said is very uh, jarring to a lot of people, but it's something to at least consider. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. There's another way of looking. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. (laughs) Bye-bye. That podcast was deep and we cover so much inside this class. I promise this is not the last time you're going to hear from Laura. In fact, this fall, we're going to dive into some more classes that talk all about healing, whether it's from sexual trauma or other issues you might be dealing with. It's time to unmask the trauma and to really deal with it so it no longer controls you. Now, in the meantime, don't forget to find out more about today's show over at thelivingwell.com. This is a lot to process and one of those shows you might need to listen to more than once. Of course, I always promote talking to a trained therapist. And if you're in the area, you can reach out to Laura at truereflectionschristiancounseling.com. That's truereflectionschristiancounseling.com. Okay, I hope that you enjoyed today's show, that you learned something from it, and that you can start to take action in your everyday life. Don't forget to come back next week as we wrap up this series with just a couple more podcasts talking all about pleasure and body confidence two things that are so important in the overall scope of our life. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you can make sure you are up to date as soon as the next episode drops. Just hit subscribe wherever you're listening. And also, if you're there, hit rate and review and leave a rating to let me know how much you're loving the show. It also helps other people who wouldn't otherwise find it, hear about it, and join in on these conversations that we have about health and changing the paradigm in health so you can actually live it out. Okay, until next time, do something to create health in your own life. I'll see you next week.